welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is on U.S. equities and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. Well, that was quite an end to 2019 and quite a start to 2020 for equity markets. I mean, things were just on a tear for the better part of last year, and obviously that's continued here into 2020. You know, I think it's important to start by kind of taking stock of how we got to where we are today and some of the underlying drivers of the performance that we've seen over not just the past year, but really the past two years. Over the past year, Returns were driven by multiple expansion, right? We had a sharp sell-off in equity markets at the end of 2018, a huge re-rating in the price investors were willing to pay for these assets, and essentially what we saw over the course of 2019 was a rebound in valuations, and then valuations which continued to move well above their long-term average on the back of an easy Fed and some optimism around the potential for a trade deal with China. What's interesting, though, is if you think about what drives equity prices over the long run and you decompose returns over the past two years, what you actually saw is that earnings continue to be the main driver of equity returns. They were the driver of returns in 2018. They didn't do quite as much in 2019. But when you net it all out, Over that two-year period, again, earnings really remain essential to the equity story. So what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about today is where we are and kind of what to expect over the coming 12 months. As I mentioned, we kicked off 2019 and investors were a little bit nervous. We had a sharp sell-off into the end of the prior year. What happened? Well, the Fed rode to the rescue, right? They started to provide verbal guidance that policy would not continue to tighten right off the bat. They ended up cutting interest rates three times during the back half of the year, which provided a nice support for the market, not only in the form of lower interest rates, which obviously support higher valuations, but also in the sense that as they resumed purchases of assets, primarily at the short end of the curve, what that led to was a pretty significant expansion in liquidity and that growth in the money supply, You know, that additional cash certainly found its way into equity markets. So we had the Fed riding to the rescue. We also had this veil of geopolitical uncertainty that's really hung over markets for the better part of the past 18 months begin to show some signs of breaking. And I think it's probably too soon to sound the all clear with respect to geopolitical risk. And within that bucket, I would include US-China trade. I would include Brexit. Yes, we are moving the ball down the field, but we haven't necessarily scored a touchdown quite yet. And so I get the sense that equity markets may be a little bit ahead of themselves. On podcasts in the past, we've talked about this idea of an impossible trinity for equity markets. You know, what the stock market wants to see is an easy Fed, moderate economic growth, and resolution on those geopolitical issues. Now, we have all three of those things in play at the current juncture. The question that I ask myself is, how long can those three things remain in play? I think that at some point, something has to budge, right? Either growth deteriorates, the Fed changes their tune, or geopolitical risks once again flare up. So with the market on a tear, again, potentially outpacing the fundamentals, that's my personal read of the situation. How are we thinking about earnings, which as we mentioned at the onset, are the main driver of equity market returns 
over the long run? You know, how are we thinking about earnings over the coming 12 months? And when we look at what's going on in the U.S. economy and the global economy, our view is that, yeah, manufacturing could continue to look a little bit better, but it's probably not going to boom. The consumer is in good shape, but has done a lot of the heavy lifting over the past couple of quarters. And so I think, you know, the consumer continuing to march higher with respect to what they consume probably shouldn't be anybody's base case. You know, what we're looking for this year is a more balanced growth profile between the U.S. and the rest of the world and between both manufacturing and consumption. I think what that means is we spend the first half of the year growing slightly below trend. We get to trend for the global economy by about the middle of the year, and then we grow at trend into the end of 2020. So when we think about what that means For corporate profits, I think that it means that earnings grow somewhere in the low to mid-single digits over the course of the next 12 months. Now, what gives us a little bit of pause is that when we look at consensus estimates for earnings growth over the coming year, consensus thinks S&P 500 earnings are going to grow somewhere to the tune of 9 to 10%. And furthermore, they anticipate that that earnings growth is going to come on the back of margin expansion. Now, in a world of trend-like growth, with relatively muted inflation, and tight labor markets that are seeing wages trend higher, I find it very difficult to square that circle. I don't really see how we can get 10% earnings growth and expanding profit margins, given the macro backdrop that we anticipate will play out over the coming 12 months. The bottom line here is that expectations for earnings in the coming year are too high. I still think that earnings growth is going to be positive. I just don't think it's going to be as robust as the consensus narrative in the market. One thing that I'll add is one of the things that's been supporting earnings growth for really the better part of the past couple of years have been buybacks. You know, buybacks over the past couple of years, adding two plus percentage points to the overall pace of earnings per share growth. One of the things that we observed in 2019 was a slowdown in buyback activity. Part of that has to do with the effects of tax reform, which were obviously concentrated in 2018 running their course and the repatriation not being as robust as it was a couple of years ago. The other thing just has to do with slower earnings growth. I mean, companies aren't making as much money as they were. They're not seeing the same earnings growth as they were during prior years. And so with less cash floating around, the pace of buyback activity has slowed. Again, we don't think that earnings are headed off of a cliff, but we do think that the consensus narrative is perhaps a little bit too optimistic relative to what we foresee for the coming year. So the question then becomes, all right, so what do you do about it in a portfolio? And again, we don't think that recession is lurking around the corner. We think that there's still room for this economy and therefore for this market to run, but we do recognize that the risks are building. And as we mentioned at the outset of this podcast, the risks feel a bit skewed to the downside relative to what equity markets have done over the past couple of months. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a 10% correction sometime here in the first quarter of 2020. Corrections are normal. The question is, how do you position your portfolio in an environment of muted economic growth and likely higher volatility? You know, let's not forget we've got a US presidential election later on this year, and that's undoubtedly going to be a source of choppiness for the market over the year to come. So when we think about allocating equity portfolios, what we continue to be focused on is the idea of shareholder yield, total yield, right? So a lot of people, you say yield, they say, oh yeah, dividend yield. No, when we talk about yield, we're talking about dividends plus buybacks. And as we illustrate in our guide to the markets, when you look at those sectors, 
which have the highest total shareholder yields, you can actually own some value and some growth, allowing you to maintain cyclicality in portfolios, and you can avoid those overly defensive parts of the market, where we frankly think that it's a bit premature to be moving into that corner of equities. And so where this leads us is to sectors like financials, where the buyback yield is extremely robust, technology where companies, again, buy back shares at a relatively healthy clip, and you're finally beginning to see some dividends be paid as well. Energy is a really interesting one. You know, buyback activity isn't terribly strong, but the dividend is certainly healthy. So for those that are not faint of heart, perhaps dipping your toe in an energy sector that's seen relative performance and capital issued in terms of both equity and debt come under pressure over the past couple of years, we think that there are ways of maintaining cyclicality in portfolios, but by focusing on yield, muting some of that volatility that we do believe is going to be rampant in markets over the course of the year to come. And so we still foresee upside in equities. We don't think this bull market has run its course, but we do recognize that this bull market is getting some gray hairs. And as we think about the one set of geopolitical issues that have clearly tickled the market over the past 18 months, although we're seeing some resolution there, there are clearly other geopolitical issues, an election in the U.S., just to name one, which I think will continue to tickle markets for the year to come. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan's Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and on our website, recorded on January 15th, 2020. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This document is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. 
the value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase and & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our privacy policies at https colon slash slash am dot jpmorgan.com slash global slash privacy. This communication is issued by the following entities in the United Kingdom by JP Morgan Asset Management, UK, Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, in other European jurisdictions by JP Morgan Asset Management Europe S, A Grave RL. In Hong Kong by JP Morgan Asset Management, Asia Pacific, Limited, or JP Morgan Funds, Asia, Limited, or JP Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia, Limited. In Singapore by JP Morgan Asset Management, Singapore, Limited, Company, Reg. No. 197,601,586K. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Taiwan by JP Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan, Limited. In Japan by JP Morgan Asset Management, Japan, Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type 2 Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency. Registration number Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm. Number 330. In Australia to wholesale clients only as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001. CTH by JP Morgan Asset Management. Australia. Limited. ABN 55143832080. AFSL 376919. In Brazil by Banco JP. Morgan S.A. In Canada for institutional clients use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Canada Inc., and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Inc., member of FINRA, J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Inc. or J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management, Inc. In APIC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan and Singapore, for all other markets in APIC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2020 J.P. Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved.